Hey everybody, welcome to the show. It's the How to Sleep Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Shaver. And I couldn't resist going back to the Scientific American Supplement for another episode to kick off your Friday. The Enameled Letters episode, I had an absolute blast recording. So I went back to the well. Scientific American Supplement number 611 published September 17th 1887 in an article that describes the process that pharmacists analyze urine and so while this may not be the first second or thousandth topic that you consider listening to while falling asleep it's pretty interesting to hear the process that they went through back in those days. So 1877 to the present. And I will say before I get started that this basically just made me think about hydration the entire time and how it's important to drink a lot of water. So there's my little my little blog, my little soapbox. Make sure you're, you're well hydrated. Let's see what the article's going to say. The Analysis of Urine Introduction Whatever may be the position of British pharmacists in comparison with those of other countries, it cannot be said that they have paid the attention to the analysis of urine which the subject has received from pharmacists on the continent. Considering the importance of the subject, this curious neglect can only be attributed to the fact that the pharmacists in Great Britain is but slowly attaining the position of chemical expert to the physician, which his foreign confrere has so long held with credit and even distinction. In France, for example, Mr. Mayhew, whose name is familiar to readers of this journal, is looked upon as one of the leading authorities on morbid urine and its analysis, and yet a list of goodly pharmaceutical papers shows that, as the medical analyst, he has not forgotten his connection with pure pharmacy. There are several points about urinary analysis which entitle it to a very high position in the estimation of pharmacists. In the first place, the physician is no more likely to be fonder of the test tube than that of the pestle, of analyzing urine than of compounding his own medicines. Leading men in the profession are more and more setting their faces against the dispensing doctor, and there are numbers among them who admit that they succeed no better as analysts than they do as dispensers. Some old-fashioned practitioners trouble themselves very little about their patient's urine, except, perhaps, in respect of sugar and albumin. On the other hand, numbers of leading physicians, including especially those highly educated gentlemen who cultivate a consulting practice, are in the habit of pushing urinary analysis almost to an excess one well-known specialist of the writer's acquaintance with an extensive West End practice makes quantitative determinations of urea, uric acid, and total acidity, in addition to conducting other diagnostic experiments on every occasion that he interviews his patients. By this means, he has accumulated in his casebooks a mass of data which he considers most valuable as an aid to diagnosis and through that to successful treatment. Pharmacists are proverbially neat-handed, as Mr. Martindale would say, 
and their habit of conducting dispensing operations which involved the dexterous manipulation of very small quantities of material fit them admirably to undertake volumetric and other rapid analytical determinations. Compared with the doctor, there is no doubt that in this matter the chemist is facile princeps, and from the nature of their respective occupations such could only have been expected. A few chemists throughout the country lay themselves out to save their local doctors from unwelcome test tube practice, and these almost to a man find it pay. Some charge a handsome fee to patients, and a small one when the analysis comes through the physician. Others find it to their interest to furnish medical men with qualitative reports on sugar or albumin gratuitously. Although this practice has certain obvious drawbacks, if a doctor sends his prescriptions to a chemist, the latter is often willing to gratuitously perform his chemical work. In the present article, we propose to describe briefly, but fully, the methods which have been found of, of most value in practice. Preliminary Operations It is the practice of some physicians to direct the patient to preserve all the urine passed in 24 hours, and to forward this in one bottle for analysis. Others, again, merely send a small sample of morning and evening urine in separate files, desiring only a comparative report. In the former case, the volume should be accurately measured, and the quantity noted either in fluid ounces or cubic centimeters before commencing the analysis. This need not be done if small samples only are received. The color should be noted. It varies greatly through every shade of yellow and amber to dark brown, with a tinge of green or red, if the coloring matter of bile or blood is present. Also note relative transparency or cloudiness, specific gravity, and reaction, as all these observations are useful in diagnosis. Odor is not quite so important. The specific gravity should be taken at about 60 degrees Fahrenheit in an ordinary specific gravity bottle or more conveniently by means of a good urinometer. In the latter case, it is very important to have an instrument of known accuracy, many of those in the market being valueless. Urinometers of glass, though fragile, are decidedly more cleanly and less liable to get out of order than the gilded brass instruments carried in the pocket by many physicians. Mr. J.J. Hicks of 8 Hatton Garden, E.C. manufactures a very credible patent urinometer at an extremely low cost. Healthy urine has a density of from 1.015 to 1.025, but variations from this range are common. A fair quantity of the urine after shaking should be placed in a tall conical glass vessel to allow easy collection of the precipitate for subsequent microscopical examination. If an abundant amorphous deposit of a fawn or pink from urolurethrin color slowly settles and is readily diffused, urates in excess can be anticipated. Their presence is proved by the readiness with which they dissolve on warming with the supernatant urine to about the temperature of the blood. No difficulty is experienced if small quantities of albumin are present as that body is not coagulated until the temperature rises much higher. A sandy precipitate of free uric acid will not dissolve on warming the urine, and its identity can further be determined by means of the microscope, or 
by applying a well-known color reaction. A grain or so is oxidized into reddish alloxin and alloxantin by carefully evaporating with a few drops of strong nitric acid on a piece of porcelain. A little ammonia is then added when the fine purple merexide stain will be produced. It is always advisable to mention the reaction to test papers of all samples received. Urine is normally acid, but there are certain diseases which render fluid neutral or alkaline. The urea of acid urine on standing is changed by a putrefactive ferment into ammonic carbonate, but this decomposition in a state of health should not take place for at least 24 hours. Alkalis, or organic salts of alkaline metals, when taken as medicine, render the urine alkaline, and the indication is then not of much moment. But if none of these causes exist, the condition is of serious diagnostic import. Where it is desired to determine the degree of acidity of the urine voided, say by a gouty patient, a dilute volumetric solution of caustic soda should be employed, using a few drops of an alcoholic solution of phenolphthalene as an indicator and reporting in terms of oxalic acid. The soda solution may conveniently contain the equivalent of 1 mg of recrystallized oxalic acid, H2C2O4, 2H2O, in each cubic centimeter. Urea Carbamide, as it is called by systematic chemists, or urea, is next to water the largest constituent of urine and forms about one-third of its total solids. Derived from ammonic carbonate by extracting two molecules of the elements of water, it is readily converted by putrefaction into that salt, and the urine under these circumstances becomes strongly alkaline in reaction. Earthy phosphates then fall naturally out of solution so that the putrid fluid is always well furnished with sediment. Nitrogen that has served its purpose as muscle or other protein leaves the animal economy chiefly in the form of urea, and its proportion in the urine, therefore, is a fair index of the activity of wasting influences. For its determination, Knopp's sodic hypobromite method, on account of its convenience, is now generally preferred. The volumetric process of Liebig, which depends on the formation of an insoluble compound of urea, with mercuric nitrate possesses no advantages and is troublesome to work. The principle of the hypobromite process is simple. In a strongly alkaline solution, urea is broken up by sodic hypobromite, its nitrogen being evolved in the gaseous state, and its carbon and hydrogen oxidized to carbonic anhydride and water, respectively. The volume of free nitrogen obtained bears a direct ratio to the amount of urea decomposed. Among the number of instruments which have been introduced for the purpose of conveniently measuring the evolved gas, that of Girard, an illustration of which we give, is one of the simplest, cheapest, and best. The urometer tube, B, is connected at the base with a movable reservoir, C, and by means of a rubber tube passing through a cork at the top to the generating bottle, A. To use the apparatus, Fill B to zero with water and have the reservoir placed so high that it contains only an inch or so of the liquid. Replace the cork with the attached tube tightly in B. Now pour into the generating bottle 25 cc of a solution prepared by dissolving 
one part of caustic soda and two and a half parts of distilled water and dexterously break in the liquid a tube containing 2.2 cc of bromine. The tubes will be found very convenient, obviating entirely the suffocating fumes diffused in the act of measuring bromine. Allow to stand in the solution of sodic hypobromite thus prepared a test tube containing exactly 5 cc of the urine under examination. Cork the bottle as shown in the illustration. See that the water is at zero and that the liquid in the reservoir is at the same level and then allow the urine to gradually mix with the hypobromite solution. Cool the evolved gas by placing the bottle in cold water. Adjust the levels of the water in the tube and reservoir to obviate a correction for pressure and read off the percentage of urea in terms of which the tube is graduated. Stale urine, the urea of which has largely been converted into ammonic carbonate, still yields a very fair result, that salt being also completely split up by the powerful oxidant employed. Should the urine contain albumin, it is advisable to remove it by boiling and filtering as, although only slowly decomposed by the hypobromite solution, it communicates to the liquid such a tendency to froth that the disengagement of the nitrogen is seriously impeded. Most of those alkaloids which might possibly be present do not yield the gas when treated in this manner, and therefore may be disregarded. Sugar Glucose, so characteristic of diabetes mellitus, is not difficult of detection or estimation. The facility with which it reduces alkaline cupric, argentic, bismuthus, ferric, mercuric salts, indigo and potassic picrate, and chromate solutions has been utilized for the preparation of several ready methods for its determination. Traumer's test consists in adding enough cupric sulfate to color green, then excess of alkali, and boiling. Yellow to brick red cuprous oxide forms as a heavy precipitate if glucose is present. The organic matter of the urine prevents the precipitation of cupric hydrate on the addition of the alkali. This test is delicate and deservedly popular. Feeling's well-known solution contains sodio-potassic tartrate, which serves the purpose chiefly of retaining the copper in solution. Unfortunately, Feeling's original solution has a tendency to become hypersensitive if kept long, a proneness to change that is much increased on dilution. When so altered, the solution will yield a more or less copious precipitate of cuprous oxide on merely boiling and quite independent of the presence of glucose. This decomposition is obviated by preserving the copper salt in a separate solution from the tartrate and alkali and mixing before use. Schmiderberg substitutes mannite and Cresswell glycerin for the Rochelle salt in order to render the solution stable. Some prepared by the writer over 12 months ago according to the suggestion of the latter physician, has since shown no signs of decomposition and is now as good as it was then. For qualitative purposes, the solution may be prepared thus. Dissolve 35 grams of recrystallized cupric sulfate and 200 cc of pure glycerin in 100 cc of distilled water. Dissolve separately 80 grams of caustic soda and 400 cc of water. Mix the solutions and boil for a quarter of an hour.
a small amount of reduction from impurity in the glycerin takes place. Allow to stand till clear, decant, and dilute to 1250 cc. 10 cubic centimeters will then equal roughly 5 centigrams of glucose. For exact quantitative determination, it is necessary to standardize the solution with pure anhydrous dextrose. To a practiced operator, the indications yielded by the use of this test are of great value, but beginners are exceedingly liable to mistake its various reactions and to report the urine as saccharine when normal traces only of sugar are present. The bismuth test of Bodker, as greatly improved by Nylander, is fairly delicate and not so easily misread as feelings. A large volume of regent being used with a comparatively small quantity of urine, the precipitate of earthy phosphates does not interfere in the least with the reaction. On boiling about three drachms of Nylander's solution and 20 minims of urine for a minute or two, the liquid darkens with a trace of sugar and becomes opaque and black if the latter is present in quantity. The reagent is prepared by dissolving 494 grains of caustic soda, 247 grains of Rochelle salt, and 154 grains of subnitrite of bismuth free from silver in 13 fluid ounces of distilled water. It should be decanted for use from any sediment. In those cases where the amount of glucose present is required to be determined, Dr. Pavey's ammonia cupric process distances all compares for ease of application and delicacy of end reaction, combined with considerable accuracy. His solution differs from that of feeling in containing ammonia, which dissolves the cuprous oxide as soon as it is formed, yielding a colorless solution. It is only necessary, therefore, to note the moment that the blue color of the liquid is exactly discharged in order to tell when all the copper present has been reduced. Pavey's solution is prepared as follows. Dissolve 356 grains of Rochelle salt and the same weight of caustic potash in distilled water. Dissolve separately 73 grains of recrystallized cupric sulfate in more water with heat. Add the copper solution to that first prepared, and when cold, add 12 fluid ounces of strong ammonia and distilled water to 40 fluid ounces. The estimation is thus conducted. Dilute 10 cc of the ammoniated cupric solution, equivalent to 5 milligrams of glucose, with 20 cc of distilled water, and place in a 6 or 8 ounce flask. Attach this by means of a cork to the nozzle of an ordinary Moore's Barrette B, preferably fitted with a glass stopcock and filled previously with the diluted urine. The small tube, C, which traverses the cork is intended to permit the escape of steam. Now raise the blue liquid in the flask to active ablution, not too violent, by the aid of a spirit lamp or small Bunsen flame. Turn the stopcock in order to allow the urine to flow into the boiling solution at the rate of about 100 drops per minute, not more or much less, until the azure tint is exactly discharged. Then stop the flow and note the number of cubic centimeters used. That amount of dilute urine will contain 5 milligrams of glucose. To render the determination as accurate as possible, 
the urine should be diluted to such an extent that not less than 4 or more than 7 cc are required to decolorize the solution and the proportions necessary will be found to vary from one part of urine in two and a half to one in thirty or forty. The subsequent calculation is very simple. If you wish to give the percentage of sugar, multiply 0 .005 by 100 and divide the product by the number of cubic centimeters of dilute urine employed. The figure thus obtained, multiplied by the extent of dilution, i.e., if there is one of urine in 10, multiplied by 10, gives the required percentage. The number of grains per fluid ounce can of course be obtained by multiplying the percentage by 4.375. To observe easily the exact end reaction, a piece of white paper should be placed behind the flask. If the analyst objects to the escape of the waste ammoniacal fumes, they may be conducted by a suitable arrangement into water or dilute acid. In addition to glucose, there are small quantities of other copper-reducing bodies present in all urine, which always render the reading higher than strict accuracy would demand. Their aggregate proportion, however, is, comparatively speaking, so minute that for most medical purposes their presence may be disregarded. Greater care must be exercised, though, in those instances where such a deoxidizer as chloral hydrate is accidentally present. In case of doubt, a little washed and pressed yeast should be allowed to stand with the urine for a day or two in a warm place. Alcoholic fermentation with evolution of carbonic acid gas soon sets in, and the specific gravity of the liquid is lowered considerably. This reaction points conclusively to the presence of sugar. Based upon Braun's potassic picrate test, Dr. G. Johnson has devised a color metric process for the estimation of sugar. On boiling an alkaline solution of that salt with glucose, the form is reduced to deep red-brown picromate, the color of the liquid, of course, varying in intensity according to the proportion of sugar present. This solution is diluted till it corresponds in tint with a ferric acetate standard, and the percentage of sugar is then readily calculated. For those who prefer this process, the convenient apparatus manufactured by Mr. Seti of 36 Brook Street, Holborn, is recommended, who will also furnish full particulars of the test. Albumin Normal urine is free from coagulable proteids, although it is admitted that albumin may sometimes occur in the absence of disease. It is always highly important, therefore, to determine accurately the presence or absence of this body. In the relentless malady named after Richard Bright, the urine always contains albumin, and if accompanied by the casts of the uriniferous tubules, your report may amount to a sentence of certain death. The tests which we now describe are accurate and easily applied, but reliance should never be placed on any single reaction at any rate until the operator has acquired considerable experience. Gallopi's picric acid test has within the last few years attracted much attention, chiefly through the commendation it has received from Dr. George Johnson. A saturated solution is prepared by dissolving 140 grains of recrystallized picric acid, carbozotic acid, or more correctly, trinitrophenol, and one pint of water with heat and decanting the clear solution. 
Some of the urine is rendered perfectly bright by filtration, repeated if necessary, through good filtering paper, and to this an equal volume of the picric acid solution is added. In the presence of albumin, a more or less distinct haze is produced, which on heating to the boiling point is rather intensified than otherwise. Peptones, if present, yield a similar haze, and quinine or other alkaloid a more or less crystalline precipitate. But in both these cases, the opalescence is completely dissipated by heat. Mucin, an important constituent of some urines, is not affected by picric acid, and the test is decidedly one of great value. The Nitric Acid Test Heller's contact method, which can also be used with the last described reagent, is the best mode of applying the old-fashioned and favorite test with nitric acid. To five volumes of a filtered, saturated solution of magnesium sulfate prepared by dissolving 10 parts of the salt and 13 parts of distilled water, add one volume of strong nitric acid and label Sir W. Roberts' nitric acid reagent. A couple of drags of bright filtered urine is allowed to flow on an equal quantity of this solution in a test tube, care being taken that the contact line is sharply defined. In a period of time varying from a few seconds to a quarter of an hour, according to the amount of albumin present, a delicate opalescent zone forms at the point of junction, and if mucin also is present, a more diffused haze higher up in the urine. Special attention should be given to the position of the opacity. In some concentrated urines, a belt of urates will appear at the line of demarcation, but these dissolve on warming. Moreover, owing to the dilution necessary in the mode of applying Gallopi's picric acid tests, they are not so readily shown by the latter. A half-ounce glass syringe can very conveniently be substituted for a test tube in making analyses according to Heller's method. Some of the urine should be drawn up, and then an equal volume of the reagent. On setting aside, the albumin ring will rapidly develop. The boiling test. This method also is very delicate and valuable. It depends on the well-known property possessed by many proteids of coagulating under the influence of heat. The urine should have an acid reaction to test paper. If alkaline, it must be cautiously neutralized with dilute acetic acid. In either case, a single drop of strong acetic acid should be added to about three drops of the bright liquid. If this precaution is omitted, there is danger of precipitating earthy phosphates on heating, and should a great excess of acid be employed, a non-coagulable form of albumin known as sinitin is formed, besides increasing the likelihood of precipitating mucin. Place the prepared urine in a narrow test tube and hold it in a small flame so that the upper part only of the liquid approaches the boiling point. By this means, very small traces of albumin are easily observed, the opalescence produced contrasting strongly with the cold and clear fluid beneath. The Ferrocyanide Test Hydroferrocyanic acid yields a precipitate immediately in the presence of much albumin, and if traces only are present in the course of a few minutes. To apply the test, strongly acidulate with acetic acid and then add a few drops of recently prepared potassic ferrocyanide solution. This is one of the most delicate tests known. 
it is often desirable that the percentage of albumin present should be determined at frequent intervals in order to note the success or otherwise of the physician's treatment. These quantitative determinations, being intended only for comparative purposes, do not demand any very excessive degree of accuracy, such as would be difficult to obtain in ordinary practice. The recent method of a continental worker, Dr. Esbach, affords indications sufficiently precise for therapeutical requirements and is at the same time extremely easy of application. The filtered acid urine is poured into the glass tube up to the mark U and then the special reagent is added to the level of the liquid stands at R. Mix the liquids thoroughly without shaking by reversing the tube a dozen times. Close with a cork and allow it to stand upright for 24 hours. The height at which the coagulum then stands, read off on the scale, will indicate the number of parts per thousand or grams of albumin in one liter. This divided by 10 gives the percentage Dr. Esbach's test solution is prepared by dissolving 10 grams of picric acid and 20 grams of citric acid and 900 cc of boiling distilled water and then adding, when cold, sufficient water to yield one liter. The citric acid is only employed for the purpose of maintaining the acidity of the liquid and is really not essential. Uric or lithic acid. The determination of the proportion of uric acid in urine was formerly rather neglected by physicians. There is now, however, a growing tendency in a certain class of diseases to attach considerable importance to its accurate estimation and, as some little trouble is involved, pharmacists should be prepared to undertake the work. A rough way is to concentrate somewhat, acidulate with hydro hydrochloric acid, and collect and weigh the precipitate thrown down on standing. There are several objections, however, to this method, and many attempts have been made to elaborate a more reliable process. One of the most recent, and which has been pronounced the most practical and successful, has been devised by Professor Haycraft. Although apparently rather detailed and elaborate, the determination is easy and extremely simple. The following solutions must be prepared. 1. Dissolve 5 grams of nitrate of silver in 100 cc of distilled water and add ammonia until the precipitate first formed redissolves. 2. Dilute strong nitric acid with about 2 volumes of distilled water boil to destroy the lower oxides of nitrogen and preserve in the dark. 3. Dissolve about 8 grams of ammonic thiocyanate sulfur cyanide crystals in a liter of water and adjust to decinormal argentic nitrate solution by diluting till one volume is exactly equal to a volume of the latter. Dilute the solution thus prepared with 9 volumes of distilled water and label Centinormal ammonic thiocyanate solution. 4. A saturated solution of ferric alum. 5. Strong solution of ammonia, SPGR.880. The uric acid estimation is conducted as follows. Place 25% of urine in a beaker with 1 gram of sodic bicarbonate. Add 2 or 3 cc of strong ammonia and then 1 or 2 cc of the ammoniated silver solution. If, on allowing the precipitate caused by the latter reagent to subside, a further precipitate is produced by the addition of more solution, 
the urine contains an iodide and silver solution must be added till there is an excess. The gelatinous urate must now be collected, the following special procedure being necessary. Prepare an asbestos filter by filling a 4 ounce glass funnel to about one third with broken glass and covering this with a bed of asbestos to about a quarter of an inch deep. This is best managed by shaking the latter in a flask with water until the fibers are thoroughly separated and then pouring the emulsion so made in separate portions onto the broken glass. On account of the nature of the precipitate and of the filter, it is necessary to use a sprinkle pump in order to suck the liquid through. The small apparatus sold to students by chemical instrument makers will answer the purpose admirably. Having collected the precipitate of silver urate on the prepared filter, wash it repeatedly with distilled water until the washing ceases to become opalescent with a soluble chloride. Now dissolve the pure urate by washing it through the filter with a few cubic centimeters of the special nitric acid. The process is carried out thus. Add to the liquid in the beaker a few drops of the ferric alum solution to act as an indicator, and from a burette carefully drop in centinormal ammoniac thiocyanate until a permanent red coloration of ferric thiocyanate barely appears. The numbers of cubic centimeters used of the thiocyanate solution multiplied by 0.00168 gives the amount of uric acid in the 25 cc. One milligram may be added to compensate for loss and the whole multiplied by four gives the percentage of uric acid in the urine. The whole process depends on the fact that argentic urate fails to dissolve in ammonia but is soluble in nitric acid and is thus easily obtained in the pure state. By determining the amount of combined silver, the percentage of uric acid can readily be calculated. The addition of sodic bicarbonate prevents the otherwise inevitable reduction of the silver salt. Bile. In diseases affecting the liver, the urine frequently becomes contaminated with biliary constituents. If the coloring matter of bile is present, bilirubin, etc., the liquid is darkened considerably in tint and may assume various shades of brown or green. Should the color be decided, the fluid will be found to foam strongly on shaking and white blotting paper will be stained by it yellow or greenish. These characters point to the presence of bile in fair quantity and it is only necessary to apply a single confirmatory test. Allow some of the urine to flow carefully, according to Heller's method, over a couple of drops of yellow nitric acid, i.e. acid containing traces of the lower oxides of nitrogen. A number of rapidly changing colors soon appear, passing through green, blue, violet, and red to yellow. The first of these tints, green, is the only one that undoubtedly points to the presence of biliary coloring matter all the others being yielded by another constituent of urine, indican, when similarly treated. Should the color of the urine suggest the presence of only traces of bile, the best plan is not to treat the urine directly, but extract a quantity of it by shaking with chloroform. On separating the latter and covering with yellowish nitric acid, the color changes will be observed penetrating into the chloroform.
A little also evaporated on a slide yields reddish crystals which exhibit a pretty play of colors under the microscope when touched with nitric acid. It is not unfrequently considered important to test urine for the sodium salts of the conjugate biliary acids toracolic and glycolic. Dr. Oliver of Harrogate has proposed the use of an acidulated peptone solution for this purpose and the reaction is undoubtedly a good one. The reagent is prepared by dissolving 30 grains of flesh peptone, 4 grains of salicylic acid, and 30 minims of strong acetic acid in sufficient water to produce 8 fluid ounces of solution. Thus prepared, the peptone shows no signs of decomposition on keeping. To use the test, mix one fluid drop of the reagent with 20 minims of urine previously diluted to a standard specific gravity of 1.003. A haze is produced, which will be found to be more or less distinct according to the proportion of bile salts present. Chlorides A normal and variable constituent of urine chlorine is not usually required to be determined. Should the estimation be considered necessary, however, Volhard's silver process, which has been noticed in treating of uric acid, possesses several advantages over other methods. 10 cc of urine are diluted with 60 cc of distilled water. To this is added 2 cc of pure 70% nitric acid and 50 cc of a standard solution of silver nitrate. 1 cc equals 0.01 gram NaCl. Shake well and make up to 100 cc with water. All the chlorine present will now be precipitated in the liquid as a silver salt. Filter an aliquot part, about 70 or 80 cc, and determine in the clear solution the excess of silver with standard ammoniac thiocyanate using the ferric alum indicator. The difference between this and the amount of silver originally present in the aliquot part has been precipitated as silver chloride, AgCl. The whole estimation should be conducted as rapidly as possible. A simple calculation will then give the proportion of chlorine in the dilute urine, and this multiplied by 10 shows the percentage. It is usual to report in terms of NaCl. Phosphates In those cases where the pharmacist is asked to determine phosphoric acid quantitatively, the uranic acetate method described in Sutton's volumetric analysis yields the most satisfactory results. The process requires some little experience to use it with ease, and is too lengthy for quotation here. Microscopical Examination A good microscope is one of the first necessaries of the urinary analyst. By its aid, it is possible to distinguish easily many solid constituents of urine, normal and pathological. Indeed, the examination of urinary deposits is often quite as important as the more elaborate wet analysis. A well-made instrument is no luxury to the pharmacist, but even those whose chief aim is bon marché can procure capital students' microscopes at exceedingly low cost. One of the cheapest, and at the same time an instrument of good quality, is the STAR, manufactured by Messrs. R. and J. Beck of 31 Cornhill, E.C. Equipped with a good microscope, the analyst should obtain a fair supply of typical slides for comparison. The following selection will be found sufficient for his purpose. A set of the chief varieties of uric acid, calcic oxalate, and triple phosphate, 
the urates and oxalurates, urea nitrate, calcic hyperate and carbonate, hippuric acid, cystin, well-mounted casts of the tubulae, urine fairy, spermatozoa, etc. In doubtful cases, microchemical reagents can be employed using Professor Atfield's chemistry as a guide. Where mounted objects are not at hand, reference may be made to the capitally executed plates and that work. After obtaining a little experience in the use of the microscope, no difficulty will be met within these examinations. Wow. The Scientific American Supplement, they, they put me through the ringer on that one. That was a mouthful. Who would thought the analysis of urine would be such a tongue twister? But there you have it. Oh, I am tired after that one. Maybe you are too. Hope you liked it. It's a little bit different, but a lot goes into that process. I am wondering now how much it has changed over the years. I'm sure quite a bit, but who knows? Maybe maybe not as much as, as we think. Either way, I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know if you did or if you didn't. Either way, uh, how to sleep podcast at Gmail. Shoot me an email. The show's on Facebook, How to Sleep Podcast, uh, Twitter, How to Sleep Cast, Instagram, How to Sleep Podcast. Um, thanks for supporting the show, subscribing, sharing it with friends and family. Anyone else who's looking for, for help to sleep, please continue doing so. And until the next time, I'll talk to you all soon.